for joining me. I've got my friend here, Angus Robertson from Chief Outsiders. He's a partner in Fractional CMO, and I'm really excited to dig into his expertise in SaaS and some of these emerging markets that he's involved in. Uh, Angus, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Valerie. Great to be here. Yeah. So uh, why don't you tell uh, a little bit of background about your expertise and your angle in the fractional CMO role, uh, just from your expertise and your, your background there. Um, it's, a little, it's a little unique and a little specialized just based on your background. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and share that with our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, I'm with Chief Outsiders and I'm one of a hundred uh, fractional CMOs. And we span across B2B, B2C, and a number of different uh, disciplines on the marketing side and a number of different industries. For me specifically, it's very much B2B SaaS. I've clearly found out that that's uh, where I live. And over a little more than 20 years of operational marketing, I've spent most of my time in product marketing and then uh, SaaS demand gen. But uh, B2B SaaS is my, my world. Your bread and butter. <laughs> yep. Well, and SaaS is is in hot demand. I mean, it's it's one of those areas in just tech and business at large that I feel like is there. There's a new SaaS company popping up left and right, and and really great resources and problems that SaaS companies are solving. So, um, you know, how have you seen marketing shift when you? from when you first started working in SaaS to where we are today? Have you seen a big shift in things? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, when it comes to SaaS, I think my understanding and my ability to run a marketing playbook for SaaS has improved. But I think a lot of the fundamentals are still there. Um, this idea of product-led growth and the amazing LTV and CAC that you can achieve and recurring revenue with these gross margins that are over uh, 70%. So um, I think one of the big areas I think is so important that a lot of companies don't focus on and still struggle to focus on is getting that product market fit and go to market model right, even for a, a, SaaS, a SaaS business, because if marketing doesn't have that air cover and that understanding on the product market fit bets and ICP, and then also the go-to-market model, then you end up just running around doing a lot of different uh, tactical, tactical things. I think to answer your question specifically, one thing that has dramatically changed has been just the shift to digital. So I think about all the outbound activities folks can do with phone and email, um, and then, of course, uh, all the all the events, et cetera. But the shift from those events and outbound type activities to inbound has only accelerated over the past two years. It's a lot more competitive in that space, too. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. It, we were talking about this before I hit record, but um, my husband works in SaaS, and so I've, I've seen him from more of the BI operational data side of things. Um, and the, the conversations he's having with the marketing teams. Um, but I also have observed just, I mean, before COVID hit, he had a local job. It was a local SaaS company and he was, he could work from home if there was a snowstorm or, you know, right. some weird thing going on. Um, 
but now his job is 100% remote and they're now dealing with these remote teams. Um, I'm curious to see from your perspective on the marketing side, how have you seen SaaS companies shifting and, and pivoting, using that coined word pivot, you know, but how have you seen things change from your end of things as from the marketing end of the SaaS company operations? I'm embarrassed to admit I was somewhat old school in my mindset and how I looked at things. So <clears throat> when the pandemic first hit, I was looking after sales, marketing, customer success for about 50 people. And I felt pretty strongly about having folks in the office and just that ability to work together, that energy, that ability to collaborate. Mm -hmm. But then we all started working remotely and our productivity actually went up. So I pretty quickly changed my mindset and we do regular standups as part of a agile go to market and that was really effective. I think now I, my mindset shifted a little bit again and I do think um, remote first organizations can work. In fact, I do believe they're more competitive. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think also having some kind of face-to-face -face connection every once in a while is valuable just for building culture and that sense of team. It's really interesting. I was a fractional uh, VP of demand gen for a fairly large company, about $500 million in revenue for nine months. And I met them once. I was remote the whole time and I met them once. And it was after about six months that I first met everybody. And it's a really strange feeling meeting people face to face because yeah. you don't have the, I mean, you recognize everybody right away, but the, the sense of dimension and how tall people are and just the energy they give off, you don't, it's, it's just, there's a big difference. And, it, yeah. and it's fun to connect to that way and go have a coffee with somebody and you know get in a car and drive somewhere it's just a different kind of experience. And so I, I saw the immediate productivity gains from being completely remote, but then became uh, later valued that face-to-face that -face interaction at, at some level. Yeah. Have you seen a huge shift in how you are adjusting your marketing strategy because of what's happened over the last few years with COVID? Has that changed anything for you all? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because tech are always early adopters for um, new ideas or technologies or approaches. Uh, but with the pandemic, we saw these wholesale shifts. I, I like to think of myself as an early adopter, but I'm really part of the early majority. Uh, and you know, I didn't order groceries online before and didn't use telemedicine before, but now it's become pretty standard and pretty pretty comfortable. So we've seen um, one, of my, one of my clients sells into the world of K, K through 12 who um, can be fairly traditional in, in what they like to do, but through the pandemic, they had to start using remote classrooms and a lot of tech and that sort of thing. Uh, so I think across the board, we're seeing uh, dramatic changes. And just the idea that it's possible and that it works and the economy doesn't break and work doesn't break right. is a pretty big shift. And 
just this idea of autonomy that you can work wherever you want to work. And as a management team at a company, that if you hire somebody anywhere in the US or anywhere in the world, you can potentially get better talent that's more motivated. Uh, that's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, that is it, that is an interesting thing that I've seen because um, you know going back to my husband, I saw him. He switched jobs halfway through the pandemic, and um, you know it was one of those things where you know a SaaS company in Illinois, for example, is now competing against the SaaS companies in San Francisco right. or right. New York, where there's there's um, you know, the salaries are potentially higher, the competition is a little bit more fierce. And so some of these other locations, you have the ability to go after talent from anywhere, but that also means that you have to potentially up-level, mm -hmm. you know, your game and and uh, some of your, your standards, but it does open up more possibilities, I think, for SaaS companies. So, and I loved what you said too, about just like the opportunity that it, that it gave of just the pandemic proved that a lot of this was possible, um, that it didn't break the economy, that, that um, you know, our customers can get used to some of this digital adoption that they might've been dragging their heels on before. That's a really interesting observation. Uh, a lady I uh, have partnered with, um, she said something interesting, uh, another perspective. It, she said, it's less about the great resignation and more about the great talent exchange. Mm. Yes. People are going somewhere. Yeah. People, people are, yeah, they're not, well, I mean, there are some people retiring. Checked out. I'm done. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of those kinds of folks. Um, yeah. my parents' generation is, is, uh, largely part of that, but you know, there is a huge wave of just for people that are staying in the workforce, yeah. you know, it's not like they're just checking out and couch surfing and right. riding the unemployment train they're moving around and they're, um, they're really moving to, you know, better opportunity, you know, different change of culture, different change of pace, you know, there's so many different reasons, but, um, yeah, it's the last couple of years have been a giant, uh, social experiment for sure. Uh, it's, it's definitely been an interesting time to be alive. Yeah. So, um, well, that's great. So I'm curious what, um, what really pushed you into getting into the fractional CMO route versus, you know, staying in a more traditional marketing route and, and what are some of the things that you enjoy about this fractional, uh, perspective? Uh, someone I worked with some time ago, uh, he's now a partner at Bain. He, he, I asked him his advice cause I had a couple of different paths I could go. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he said over his career, he's made this observation that you get known first for your industry, and then you might get known for particular projects or set of expertise. But then as you develop your career, it becomes about the network. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I had never done consulting and, Last year, I worked with more than 10 different companies and 10 different CEOs, and I worked with 100 different CMOs uh, at Chief Outsiders. So, I mean, I was at a company in telecom, a B2B tech company, uh, for a long time, more than 10 years, 14 yeah. years. And then I was at three B2B SaaS startups over six years, but then I worked with 10, more than 10 companies in one year. And just the amount of learning and exposure to ideas and approaches and people is that much greater. So 
that's what's been interesting about uh, being a consultant, just that exposure to, to all those different companies and ideas. That's wonderful. Yeah, I know I'm, I'm in a similar type of position where I work with multiple clients. And so when, for me, I just love getting the, the variety. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can kind of dabble in their product and their, their message, if you will. Um, and then it's, I can shift gears. And so for somebody like me who just loves to learn, it's really fun for me to kind of learn and extract what, you know, the public is going to care about or what their customer is going to care about. Um, but I don't have to live in that, that space 100% every single day. Um, and so for me, I, I was a little surprised that I would enjoy some of the variety so much, but, um, you know, when you're working with a few clients like you do, you, you kind of get that, that, that change. And you also work, I'm sure with a ton of different personalities, ton of different types of people. Um, and that's always a fun thing. It just expands your circle that much more. Yeah. And to your point, it's really interesting to see what's the same and what's different. And being able to For sure. put a bit of a pattern together and that makes you that much more valuable to help another client. Well, yeah, I mean, because you have all of these experiences and, you know, things that, you know, work with this SaaS company. So then when you start working with another one where maybe the, the product is different, yeah. but the the sales process and the marketing communications around it can is just very parallel um, you can say, look, like I know this works here. It's an easy parallel to put it on, you know, in place for another client. So, you know, that's one of the benefits, you know, a lot of times people might think, well, gosh, like, you know, a company, wouldn't you want to have a permanent CMO, but there are some major benefits to having somebody like you who has that deep knowledge, but you also have the experience with multiple different scenarios that you wouldn't get with just somebody who's entrenched in just your product. Um, so I, I'm curious um, for you, like when it comes to like getting a win in marketing, um, what are some things that you're seeing are, are really some, some foundational basics that help have helped you and your clients get those really good marketing wins? Yeah. At a high level, I think about pretty much the same things. I like to think about um, outcome marketing. So if you have a set of activities in a certain sequence that you're going to yield certain results, and that's always possible to a lesser or greater extent. And within that, I think about three elements, product market fit, uh, campaigns, which is really content and channels, and then uh, an, an agile approach, which incorporates test and iteration, but also the, the metrics to see see how you're how you're doing, um, and bringing all those together will will make will make the difference. But at the end end of the day, um, I want to make sure that uh, the sales is happy and the management's happy and the board's happy. And for, for that to happen, you need that level of pipeline contribution. But once you have that uh, pipeline contribution there, then you have a lot of air cover. There's a lot that marketing can do. So it's always a fun place to 
to, to get to, because then you can focus a lot more on awareness or being really innovative with your campaigns or how you engage your uh, personas and markets or building out a community. Uh, so I, I really look at sort of this standard approach and then the maturity of the organization I'm working with. Are they completely unknown in their market or are they really known in the market? And then from a product market fit standpoint, there's a few tactics that really make a difference. That is, are there some macro shifts happening that you can take advantage of? And are there some partnerships uh, you can take advantage of? Just with everything going on um, on this spike in energy costs, I was just considering Tesla again. I was in the Bay Area and a friend of mine bought his first Tesla in 2014. Yeah. And his car is seven years old now and he's still using the same battery pack. And his, it costs him very little to run that car. Whereas for a typical commuter, it could be $800 a month in, in gas. Right. But there was two macro chip trends that Tesla was, was focused on. One is um, just the shift in regulatory and uh, social desires around being better for the environment. Mm -hmm. And then also this technology shift. So self-driving eco-friendly cars that are actually interesting and exciting to drive. I mean, that's sort of amazing what, what they've been able to do. And they're spending a lot more on R&D than their competitors and a lot less on marketing because they're doing something new that aligns yeah. to these market shifts and they can leverage word of mouth um, because they're aligned to these market shifts and, and this innovation related to that, to that shift. Yeah. It's like, they're doing something worth talking about. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've had so many, I, I can recollect so many conversations just around the dinner table or in the, in a car or whatever, getting picked up at the airport where my husband was just geeking out over Tesla. So, you know, as you're talking about this, I'm like, oh, I can, I can very clearly picture those conversations where they didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to put up a billboard. They didn't have to send me an email campaign. They didn't have to do anything but they're just doing something worth talking about and it's getting people, you know, those grassroots conversations are, are naturally happening, happening. And then, then you have, you know, these major, major waves of, you know, I'm, I'm so curious right now, just watching Musk buying Twitter and, you know, what's, what's the bigger play there. But as we're talking, I'm wondering, well, gosh, like people are talking about Elon Musk. And then they're going to start talking about Tesla. And then they're going to start talking about all of his other ventures. It, there's a trickle down effect that, you know, Twitter may not be the end game for him. It might be just a, a one little piece in the puzzle for him um, where, hey, people are paying attention to Tesla more now because of Twitter. You know, it's just, it's, so, it's such an interesting, interesting dynamic that's happening. So, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's, um, it's, it's so important to think, I love what you were talking about of just getting back to like some of those questions of like, where is somebody at in the stage um, as far as their business goes? You know, do people know them? Where they are in business is definitely going to affect what their marketing strategy is going to need to be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how much effort goes towards one piece of the pie versus another. So I, I love that that's kind of where you're, you're starting from with a lot of these conversations with clients. 
Um, I'm curious, like when you have had a situation where maybe you guys didn't get the win you were hoping for, um, how do you, how do you respond to that? How, you know, what's what, cause you know, with, um, any type of business SaaS or otherwise, there are going to be quarters where things are lower than you expected, or, um, you know, campaigns don't go as planned. I'm curious, you know, how, how have you seen, um, the response and what has been your approach when you haven't gotten the win that you were hoping for? Uh, it does depend on your stakeholders. So, um, sales and CEO and management and the board are generally the major stakeholders. And if you're not um, sort of the permission to play or, or the uh, and, and ability just to be, be there to participate, um, that pipeline number needs to be at a certain, certain level. And yeah. for SaaS companies, those SaaS companies that want to reach 100, I've generally focused on the SaaS companies that are in that growth stage. So getting to 100 million in revenue and that billion dollar valuation, although um, now we're talking about some SaaS companies with 35x revenue uh, type, type valuations wow. when 10x was, was impressive not too long ago. Yeah. But when that pipeline number isn't there, it's, it's interesting because there's <laughs> there's the number that the bank has that the PE or VC has that the management team has that sales has and then that marketing has right so yeah the number you have and, and sales have are always going to be tougher and an individual rep is going to be the the hardest off so being under, able to understand that landscape I think is important and fundamentally, I feel that this, there needs to be alignment on the strategy and the drivers. So if a company has a vision to get to this future state over a number of years, and then there's a financial and strategic plan to support that, what's marketing's role in that? And does the management team and the board agree with marketing's role to support um, that business yeah. driver? So that's really critical and it's hard to uh, get to that point. And then if we're not hitting the number of meetings or, or the amount of pipeline that needs to be achieved that quarter or um, in that six month period, the question is, is it because there's something fundamentally wrong with our strategy uh, because we didn't get it right or there's been a shift in the market or is it just um, one of those things that needs to play out? You're doing the right activities relative to the strategy, you're building the right infrastructure out, it's just it's taking a bit longer, or you put something out of sequence. So that's generally the approach I take. I want to understand um, what, what the number really needs to be. And then relative to the strategy, are we doing the things that we need to do? Or do we need to make a, a shift? Because um, we either got the strategy not quite right, or there's been a change in our, our market. Yeah, I, I love what you kind of ended on just there of, you know, sometimes you're doing the right activities. It's just taking longer than you expected, or, you know, there's something else going on in the world that where, you know, 
you couldn't have predicted it, but you're, you know, you're affected by something that was out of your control. We've right. seen that clearly with COVID, um, where, you know, a lot of businesses probably had a, you know, a great strategy moving forward and then COVID hits and that strategy is completely wiped out. We've had that happen all over history, right? It happens all the time. COVID was just one of those like clear in your face examples that we all have known and experienced now. Um, but I, I just love that distinction because a lot of times I think people are quick to scrap really great marketing campaigns, materials, activities, um, simply because it's taking too long or maybe it's in the wrong order, or maybe you're missing like one little piece that needs to be inserted in. Um, and so, you know, it's a lot of work goes into building up these, these campaigns and, and these strategies to just sit and, and scrap it is not always the right move, but, um, you know, you and I both have probably seen this happen more times than we would, you know, care to count, um, where great ideas just get thrown out the window because it's not moving fast enough or at the right time. So I love that you brought that all up. Yeah, SaaS companies can be impatient and if the product <laughs> market fits right, but- um, I think it's more than just SaaS companies. Fair but... enough, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, you but probably point, more than you, more than you can count. <laughs> okay, um, but as as you said, putting that infrastructure in place, you know, if, if you're a company that is all of a sudden activating or turning on marketing, but you don't have a CRM, you don't have any people, you don't know what conversations you want to own in the market, you don't have any campaigns, you don't have your channels turned on, you don't know what channels are going to work. That can take a little time to get established. And yeah. there's some trial and error as you find the, the sweet spot. Yeah, you, where you figure out what your message really needs to be, who you're, you make right. sure you're talking to the right people, saying the right things. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely that learning learning phase, and you know, from my experience, SaaS companies, yeah, they like to move fast. They they uh, are often impatient about things. So sometimes that learning has to happen as you're moving and right. adjusting and. Um, sometimes that moves a little bit faster than maybe what it should. I don't know. At least that's from what I've observed. So, um, but, you know, as, as we're talking to um, just, you know, in general marketing, um, you know, we've going after quick, you know, quick wins, simple wins. If you were to give somebody your brand advice about, you know, if they want to make a simple win in their marketing. They want to move the needle just a little bit, something that is tried and true or something right now that's just trending that you know is is uh, is going to help them move the needle. What advice would you give somebody? What advice would you give a marketing team or or a or another fractional CMO um, working in SaaS or otherwise? What's going to move the needle? Can I give you two? You can give me as many as you want. All right. It made me think of two. Uh, one is something that I was introduced to when I came to Chief Outsiders that I've continued to work on and refine. And I'm now able to do it in just one sheet, but it's pretty much anybody can, can do it. And that's a digital marketing assessment. So you can use a tool like an SEM rush and you compare um, yourself with three of your competitors and look at three things. Your positioning, and you can just look at the above the fold value props on the four websites and yeah. are you overcoming generic self-concept or not? <laughs> um, and then the second thing is, 
just the SEO keyword ranking, which by the way, will tell you what the content strategy is and how effective that is. And then thirdly, are they running PPC? And if they are, um, you know, what, what are they getting traction with? And that will illustrate what the campaign strategy is. So very quickly, you get a landscape of your market category and a sense of what's working, what's not working for you relative to your competitors and where you might be able to navigate some opportunities there. Um, the second is, is a trend that I've thankfully seen taking off and I'm learning about it too. And that's just more of an emphasis on customer journey mapping. Mm -hmm. So for so long, especially in SaaS, it's all about new logos, new logos, new logos. But if you really understand the stages that the prospect and the customer go through over their entire life cycle with you, what those touch points are, what the activities are with those touch points and who the owners are and what the expected um, experience should be, and then segment your customers relative to ICP and non-ICP and their levels of adoption, you can absolutely improve the customer experience and improve your ability to do referrals. <laughs> At the end of the day, that's such a scalable way to yeah. um, achieving growth. And it's, you know, as you were saying earlier, a lot of companies want that quick fix and it's all about the new logos. But if you don't have your customers out there championing for you, that's only going to get you so far because you're going to have churn. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, first of all, I love both of those tangible takeaways. So thank you. Sure. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's a lot of times people are always thinking about that new, new client to come in the door, new customer. And they don't realize the opportunity that exists to upsell existing customers or to just retain them, you know, plain and simple, just the lifetime value of that customer could be, and usually is way more than if you're constantly turning through new people and the, the amount of work and effort that goes into getting that new customer versus keeping it's, it's really powerful. So, um, but it's, it's not always the, the fun conversation because then you have to get into things like, you know, customer support and, you know, why are people not staying and what's making them stay versus not stay. And you, you kind of have to, you get a little bit under the hood, a little bit on maybe some other problems in the organization. And sometimes it's easier to focus on, let's just get new people in the door. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I do see that shifting. More and more people are thinking, more more executives and companies are prioritizing that, which is reassuring. I, it's, it hasn't, I don't think it's reached a tipping point yet, but uh, yeah. That's wonderful. That's great. Well, and thank you so much for sharing both of those actionable tips um, to your first tip. I actually had a conversation just yesterday and they weren't a SaaS company. They were a local mom and pop type of local service provider. And we went to Google. Google mm -hmm. was where we started to take a look at where the sources of their, their problems might be and what keywords essentially are worth focusing on. Yeah. Um, it's amazing how just that simple search engine uh, is, is such a powerful tool in informing content strategy. And, and when you pair it with something like SEMrush or others, you can really get some deep insights. Um, but sometimes just hitting that Google, google.com, you can get some great insights. So I love that. 
Thanks for sharing both of those two very actionable things to get some good wins. Um, so uh, we'll make sure to link over to everywhere people can find you online in show notes, um, but they can also find more from you at chiefoutsiders.com. Uh, and uh, I know you're, you're pretty active there over on LinkedIn. So um, any parting words of advice for our listeners as they are out making waves in the marketing world? If you're a, a CEO or an executive on the management team, to make your marketing team's life just a little bit easier, think about uh, those bets, you know, those use cases and those markets that are going to make or break the success of your business and um, get alignment with your marketing team. And you'll see uh, just that much more performance out of them. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, there you have it. Angus Robertson from Chief Outsiders sharing all of his amazing wisdom as a fractional CMO. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Valerie. It was fun. If you liked what you just heard, please hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our future episodes. And while you're at it, go ahead and leave us a review. That not only helps us out, but it helps others discover great interviews just like this one.